me again. Today's guest is Willing Colin Higgins. Willing guest. Great to have him on. Wasn't always easy at times, and it's definitely an interview. I wish I did better in. I think I could have done better. But, yeah. It was brilliant. We tackled a few topics that were difficult to talk about, but, yeah. I think it's great. And I really love his honesty. And I hope you guys also enjoy it. How are we doing, Colin? You right? Uh, one second. We will be there in one sec. Boo. Can you hear me now? I can hear you perfectly. How it's, are we doing, Colin? Not bad, how are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, that's very English, isn't it? Well, no, no, I shouldn't say that. I've already got you on off the wrong foot, haven't I? <laughs> no, uh, that's very... Should I say British? Is that the safe thing to say, Colin? Oh, I don't care, mate. I'm not... I see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, pleasure to have you on, man. Uh, yeah. It's good to have you on. I, I had a chat with, uh, what's it called, yesterday, I had a chat with, do you know Sully Sullivan? Sully Sullivan, I'm terrible names, man, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but yeah, um, thanks for coming on. Have you listened to any of the other episodes as a whole? I haven't, mate. I've, uh, sorry, I've been unbelievably crazy this last few weeks. It's been absolutely mental and I haven't had a minute. Um, to even catch up on Ag Race, man. <laughs> you know what? I, I yeah, and you you told me as well what's been going on. You, you it's, there's a lot been happening, yeah. And I shouldn't. Are we, are, we sorry, should... are we live, man? Are we live already, yeah. No, 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 no. I do oh, a little. It's a. It's a funny thing with this part of the podcast, because sometimes, I've had a good conversation with someone, and it's just been like, let's just carry on anyway. But then um... in other cases. We, I go in and do the intro, and but because but often I found that when I just go ahead and go straight to conversation, it's it's a lot longer, mm-hmm. but it's an easier conversation because when I go into the podcast and I go hello, welcome to do, 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 it becomes a bit formal and I get a bit tensed and you get a bit tense and it's a bit rather than like a casual conversation. But I I play it by ear with the podcast and I see what happens. So do I clearly. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine um i don't i don't really look into things too deeply and it's i'd rather things were spontaneous i think that's probably um things you're at your freshest aren't you yeah i suppose yeah to a degree i mean yeah i mean definitely as both of us being comedians we know that i mean if we're doing that same joke in and again and again and we it gets to the point where you just have to drop it don't we <laughs> If it gets a laugh, man, fuck it. I can... <laughs> <laughs> it gets even a laugh. If... Oh, even if you're freely dead inside, what you you do that old line that <laughs> I'm a hooer. I don't give a shit, man. I'm I'm just <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, no, we we are yeah. <laughs> let's let's go. Cool. Well, how much how much do you, how much do I have to pay? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I spoke to um do you know um I was you, yeah you definitely know but Darren Cannell yeah 
He told me a dodgy story when he was a comedy promoter. And he spoke, me? I think it was you. Okay, I'll, should I tell the exact story? Okay. <laughs> he, he said that there's a lot of, we know that there's a few funny things going on with like promoters and female comics, but he says, even with male comics, you get that. And he said that, you know, even when you tell a few male promoters that you're not that way inclined, they still bother with Oh, we're just saying I'm chatting him up, like. I think he said that. No, I don't know. He, he said he said some male promoters have still kept doing it. I don't know any male promoters um, that are gay, apart from me. Oh, well, I, I don't want out anybody, but uh, no, I don't think there's. Um, it's a total no-no. That sort of stuff, man. You know, it's like and people. It's so fucking. I don't know, explosive. Um, and there was a crazy, crazy time going on in the Scottish Comedy Forum. I don't know, are you on that? I've seen a couple of things. I remember I put a post up a while ago and there's an old picture of mine where I'm in an England shirt and I posted the question and I got roasted for wearing the England shirt and then I deleted the post. But mm. that's all I remember. It's, it's a mad forum. I've seen it. I've seen pictures. The Edinburgh Fringe Performer Forum is mad as well. They're both mad. Well, there you go. Um, I don't think there's... I think there was a lot of legitimate cases of promoters totally abusing their power um, and of the have power. I don't I never felt that powerful as a promoter running my wee gig. Um, but, you know, um, there was a lot of serious cases that were horrific involving a lot of female acts that none of us knew about them and um yeah it caused a lot of bother and there's been a lot of females have left the oh. comedy circuit because they just don't want to deal with it anymore but there was a nightmare promoter in glasgow an absolute nightmare um and um he who shall not be named um and uh, it was like something out of i don't know i, I I don't know, like a, a pantomime villain, almost like he should have been. I don't know, tying people to railway tracks and twirling his moustache, crazy. Uh, but these people seem to be disappearing, and um, I'm really quite selective about who I'll gig with and the gigs I'll go and do, and unless I'm getting paid, you know. Hmm. Oh, actually, no, I did see a post recently. I saw a post. Uh, there was a guy that was said that wasn't paying anyone or something in the i saw that in the forum like he's he's not paid this guy for a year or something oh there's a lot of that so that's as old as stand up but that's as old as anyone getting on a stage that so it's not very well regulated do you do you get nervous with doing certain gigs that especially with new promoters about them not paying like they say they book you for a gig do you get a bit shit I'm booking maybe 20, 30 pounds to get to this gig. And there's a chance that this prick won't pay me. Well, you know, it's not really, the Scottish scene isn't anywhere near as lucrative as the rest of the UK. Um, and if you're not really a headliner, then you're not going to be making any money. If you're going to get any comedy for money uh, in Scotland, um, especially then you're in for a, be singing the blues pretty, pretty <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not a lot of money. Um, 
So I did a gig in Bonness and I got, you know, middle slot, you know what I mean? So, you know, just the way it is, it's like you'll, you'll have enough to cover your petrol if you're lucky. Is is it going to get to the stage where nearly all, even pro comics, have to have another job on the side before they do comedy? Um, I don't see how else you would survive, especially with people with families and uh, mortgages to pay. Uh, I find that, you know, I don't know how they, they would cope. Yeah, it's, it's, and yeah, the Edinburgh Fringe as well, that's getting quite, um, I've heard, not only have I heard horror stories from comedians, but I heard horror stories from locals of what happened in Fringe. Like right. the bar, barman at 32 Below talked about how he was kicked out of a property because of the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. Like, and then I'm hearing from Uber drivers saying that they have friends who are deliberately getting rid of tenants so they can make three months of their earnings during the end of a fringe. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a few um, landlords in Edinburgh that are lacking in scruples uh, like you get everywhere. Um, I've heard of people vacating and subletting, um, but people getting kicked out to then go on and that is just, uh, that's illegal, is it not? I don't know how they would get away with that. That's what I've heard, and and I don't know how they. But this, if you're if you're a slimy, dodgy biz, person like that, they they've probably done the research in it and found the loopholes to do it, and they've paid a lawyer with no morals whatsoever, and some of them bloody don't to get round it. It is funny with lawyers; they are brutal people. Well, like I say, I'm a comedian in Scotland. Uh, you know, registered disabled guy. I'm not somebody who uh, is going to be worrying about property law anytime. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, it's not really something I'm up on, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gone quite dark already. This is a startup. No, no, we need to change it. But yeah. Um, so let's, let's start again, Colin. Uh, so how have... You've had quite an entertaining life. I saw that at some article about that you caught perverts in the bush and you you are you enabled to well, i'm being polite with the word but you 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 helped convict a few dodgy well pedos really yeah um and i know that you've had an entertaining life to get into comedy how did that start and how 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 do you does the entertaining parts of your life go with comedy well, I mean, the, the, the pedo thing, uh, <laughs> the way that you phrased it, the way that you phrased it in the questions that you sent me, um, it was like, you helped get some pedos caught in prison. Did you entrap them? By <laughs> to see themselves as they would see themselves. And I did not really make a hide and a tail of that question at all. I, th I didn't really know what it meant or I thought, um, but I was, I was a victim of abuse. So, um, so it was me uh, finally alerting the, some adults in my life what was going on um, and um, then giving a statement to the police and having them arrested and taking them to court. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was at court... Um, 
So dealing with him, was, I'd be about 15 years of age at that point. It's, what I meant by that was, because I know that when I look from when I find the article, that's what they said of you. And do you know um, Larry what King? Article, what article was that? I saw some article on Google. I could maybe do a little Google search and find, yeah, I'll, when I is, find it, I'll, I'll give you the link, shall I? And, there is a, a quite a, a comprehensive um, account. I waived my anonymity in the press um, because, uh, well, for different reasons, but um, the the reporter who ran the story is somebody that I know personally and um, I trust her implicitly. She's still a big part of my life. So it was it was fine speaking to her quite openly about it and um, dealing with it and, and kind of closing the door in a way on it. Um, and I'm 40 and just getting going. Um, I think it's important that people that are out there know I thought I could never do stand-up. Um, I played piano as well, and I, was, I had all sorts of aspirations. And um, so none of these things happened because my mental health was completely trashed um, by what had happened. And uh, it was a very complicated story because um, when these two paedophiles came into my life, they were already very active and had... Mm a string of victims, it was like, there was like 15 names or something like that. And um, obviously when I, when I realized, you know, what the hell was going on, uh, it was very, very, um, I, I'm, I was undiagnosed, ADHD, um, I'm going through tests for autism and all that just now as well. It's so in vogue, isn't it, you know? And uh, so I was very naive. Um, but presented quite sort of um, not mature, but you know, not stupid, uh, and um, you know, incredibly naive, and um, got myself involved in this situation um, through pals at school, and had a clue what the hell was going on. Not a scooby. Um, I was aware of missing person posters all around the town I was living in. This is Largs on the west coast of Scotland. <clears throat> and there was a lot of posters everywhere with a missing woman. I was aware. Of it. it looked a bit like, you know, Lost Boys at the start. You know, Largs, they were, they were everywhere because they were frantic. They were looking for this young woman. She was a young mum. Um, yeah. And then I realised when I was involved that the threatening... Um, I knew them for a couple of months before it happened. By that time, they'd got to know. I, my mum was a single mum. They knew I'm a, such an open book that I would just sit and blether away. Um, didn't realise I was getting drugged with oh. the beer they were giving me and all these things that were going on. And uh, they then told me that, that they'd murdered this woman. Um, because she was a grass and uh, she had somehow become aware of what it was they were doing and uh, she challenged them um, not having a clue who she was dealing with clearly and they killed her 
And um, so they told me all about that. So when I went into the police station that day, 15-year-old boy with a social worker, um, okay. I told the police, uh, and then I mentioned um, what had happened to this lady. And uh, the cops nearly spun off their chairs. Um, but there was no, as the, the Anil and Lachlan and these two bastards, pardon me, you like to swear? Yeah, swear as much as you want. Uh, so Anil and Lachlan and these two nasty chaps, um, you know, incredibly conniving, incredibly devious, incredibly dangerous. The older one used to be a professional boxer from Australia. Um, dangerous. I was petrified of them. Um, wouldn't mind bumping them now, mind you. Uh, but I was petrified of them as a wee boy. And uh, yeah. So it was a horrible, horrible thing. The police were gobsmacked. Um, and um, but there was no, as Anil and Lachlan told me, you know, there's no body, there's no crime <clears throat> in Scotland at the time. Um, in Scottish law, no body, no murder. Um, so we were watching the Arlene Fraser case very, very closely because that was another case. Um, and her husband murdered her and they've never found her. And there's a few cases that are still going like that. And there's a lot of work um, by guys, Russell Finlay, uh, who's a Scottish Tory MP, he's moving to change the legislation. So if you're in jail for a crime, but you won't, um, if you've been jailed for murdering someone and you do not disclose where the, the body is to give the family the closure, et cetera, et cetera, then you won't get out ever. Oh. Uh, so Russell Finlay, and uh, he, he was a, a reporter, Russell. He's a good guy, Russell. Um, a lot of folk don't like him. I think he's got a good heart in him, clearly. And uh, he's now a, a Scottish Tory MP. And um, so, you know what I mean? Um, it makes him very unpopular with some people, but when he's moving with stuff like that, it's a non-brainer, a, a no-brainer. And, you know, I'm not a Tory, um, but I would totally support Russell in that endeavour, because I think it's important. And um, these two are in jail now claiming that they're lovers and they're demanding all sorts of, uh, you know, time together, phone calls and all that. And they've, they've had their legal aid going to thousands, trying to get things like that overturned. And I think it's an absolute disgrace and a complete and utter waste of money. So I'm happy to highlight the case and wave my anonymity um, because I feel still quite responsible. I was the, the original complainer um, and I've never spoken hardly to any of the other boys that were involved, but my heart's kind of with them, you know, and I hope them, I wish them all the best. But it, obviously the story centres on Alison who uh, they murdered and she had um, little kids and I think four of them um, and um, I'm in touch with her daughter now, which is nice. Um, but there's all sorts of kids and grandkids and all sorts of stuff that she's never seen. 
Um, and she martyred herself, really, trying to do the right thing and had no clue who she was messing with. And uh, these two then, Donald Finlay was their QC. And um, when I mean, I wasn't his year. Uh, some of the things he said about my mum and things and trying to defend this pair. Until uh, another lad went up, went up, even in to give evidence before I did what I was going to because whatever reason, um, I, he met them before I did or something, I think. And on, I think, a few minutes of his testimony, the thing collapsed. The Donald Finley went, I think you better plead guilty. And uh, they pled guilty and um, they got a horrific sentence. We couldn't get them done for the murder, no body, no crime. And their story continues from there, sadly. They got out and destroyed my life and my family, my people that loved me and everything, doing what we did. And then they got out and um, first opportunity, they buggered off and um, they committed a whole lot of disgusting crimes across Europe. They were, they were uh, um, questioned in the Maddie, Madeleine McCann case because they were near there. My mother and stepdad had emigrated to Spain and we found out that they were living half an hour away from them. And they were running a cleaning business called Rainbow Cleaning Services. And they were in um, complexes and uh, resorts uh, full of families, full of kids. And, um, they then came back and uh, committed a whole lot of crimes and down in England. And then we could be finally, uh, I think we had the, uh, the right evidence to go after them. And we did, and I had to go back to court again at, I think, 28. And um, trying to get my life together, I just started comedy. Um, 2000 and, uh, 2000 and, I started about 2010, I think. I'm really bad with dates, it's horrific. I started 2010, and uh, then this all kicked off again. I, I had an absolute mental breakdown, and um, yeah, that was that was bad. And suicide attempts and all of that, and uh, going on stage with no material, totally unrehearsed, just off my face on whatever I could get my hands on. And some nights it worked out great. <laughs> and probably 8% of the time it was a complete disaster. And um, I just went completely bonkers and uh, put on about 10 stone and drove a taxi and tried to just not kill myself for a long time. And uh, had to go and give evidence. I was actually in a... I was in hospital at the time. I had to get picked up from hospital to go to court to give evidence. And I'd had a bit of a Brittany Sid Barrett moment and shaved all my hair off. And I was massive. I'd put on so much weight. And I had to go and give evidence that time. They weren't pleading guilty to murder. 
Um, so we had to endure that and walking in and seeing them there. And um, everything they did to me and what they've done to other people and what they've done to Alison and um, never admitting what they've done, never disclosing anything about it, never giving the family any definitive kind of closure on what happened. Um, and I think it's right that we expose them for that, you know, um, and let everyone know, you know, these people, if they, you know, MD lets them out, you know, they're completely, maybe the most asinine thing to do in the world. Um, they're dangerous, and they'll be dangerous in their 70s and 80s, um, and they won't leave witnesses this time, you know, bad people. Hmm. Uh, so, so there you go. Yeah. Comedy! So where are we? Yeah. The thing is about those type of individuals, it's not only the things they do, but it's the lasting effects for like future generations because they're going to damage people. And then there's the effect that with more people being damaged, they're going to have an effect on other people. And then it gets... It's not only yeah, yeah. So I think the word entrap quite bizarre because um, I mean, obviously, I'm quite passionate the, that people that are going to hurt children shouldn't be allowed to walk the streets. But I don't think I, entrapment. I had a vision of me. Like, did you think I turned up on their doorstep, like dressed like baby? So let me, let me, let me, <laughs> and then jump out my big hairy cock and balls. Busted. No, it didn't go like that, man. No, because. Um, do you know Larry King? Larry King, like he's a famous interview. He's no longer with us, but like he, yes, the, the, a lot of the, the worst people around the world. And I've seen like different programs about how people have sent letters and actually got some of these people to confess to it, or they've, and then they've, yeah. When he interviews some of these bad people, Larry King tries to see them from their side, and then. Yeah, and I've seen a few documentaries of guys getting people that are like that into trouble by writing letters to them. And yeah, it wasn't a Miss Marple job. This one, it was um, a victim of a horrific rape and uh, and then subsequent abuse. So I can't remember how long it went on for. It was, um, they were threatening my mum and I knew it wasn't an empty threat, you know, because we killed this woman. Um, but it was the worst thing they could have done because that was what made me speak. And uh, yeah, I went and spoke to someone I trusted and um, that panic button was slammed and uh, life was never... Or was ever going to be the same again ever anyway so it's a terrible thing and a lot of therapy and a lot of dark 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 horrible times um i stopped drinking i'm a year sober passing the 22nd of october so i'm a year sober um, I don't bang the sober drum too loudly because I still leave the chemist every month with a wheelbarrow full of drugs. Morning, you know, walking out. Uh, but, you know, 
you turn 40, it's great, you know, your doctor just turns into a free drug dealer. It's mad. I've never experienced anything like it in my life. I can't brush past them without getting codeine and <laughs> it means rammed into my fucking pocket. <laughs> Not that I'm complaining, you know. Um, and he phones me as well. I live, I live in quite a small town. So my doctor phones me quite regularly to like, see how I am and all that. And my old drug dealer never did that. He never phoned to see how I was, you know. I don't think he had my best interests at heart, looking back, you know. But um, I, we fucking take the help that's given to us. And I had EMDR therapy, eye movement, desensitization and reprogramming therapy. It's military grade. Uh, kind of psychotherapy to get you over PTSD, frighten you better. Um, it's quite, it's quite in your face. It's quite intense, um, but it works. So, I then decided to maybe shadow. Although I started comedy back in two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven, and I stopped. I had maintained some relationships with people and. Um, writing all constantly writing all the time and um, I approached a very famous comedian who remained nameless and um, I said to her look can I please uh, come and look flyer for you and just watch what you're doing and she said yeah that would be great um, and I went and I basically was working with this pro who had like this all access to the fringe. My first fringe was just incredible. You know, the, the experience, I wasn't performing, just behind the scenes, meeting everybody, seeing how it all worked and how pros work and how shows work, how everything really works at that level. It was an absolute education. And then 2000, that was 2017, 2018, um, a lot of the pros were telling me to go and do Viv G's comedy course. Which I didn't. I, I, I'm quite a purist. I wanted to resist that sort of thing until um, it was pointed out that people who are quite guff go and do these courses, and then would then be just ahead of you, uh, you know. Um, so go and learn. Go and see what it's about, and see what, they, what they've got to teach. And uh, Vivji is just a master at teaching people because she sees you. And the comic that you're maybe trying to be or the comic that you've got in you and all that kind of stuff, she really knows her stuff. Um, and she does wonders with people. She certainly did with me. And I've had great support from Des McLean and Martin Moore and guys like that as well with some beautiful uh, you know, assistance and tutoring and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just got... Tore in, jumped in, started running a wee gig and gigging regularly. And, you know, before you know it, you're taking part in a documentary about Billy Conley for the BBC. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, um, but life has not got any easier. And when you're living with trauma, and especially if it's something that's really quite massive and really complex and difficult, um, life's still going to be hard. So life's a bitch for everybody, you know? So if you're already dealing with something really major, odds are you're going to have to deal with other things that are really major um, when you're not in a good place. Uh, so 
it, you know, life can be very difficult. And my life has been, anybody that follows me on social media will see, will, will have witnessed, you know, I've had a lot of tragedy in my family and um, a lot of people close to me not being well and stuff. So it's been, it's been really difficult in COVID. Uh, it's just been the toughest time. I lost my sister um, when she was 40. Uh, and it's her fourth year anniversary on November the 6th. And um, and it was traumatic, you know, and her, her passing was really difficult. Um, it was a hard thing for that she went through, and it was hard on those of us that had to sit there with her while it happened, and it was hellish. And with it being, like, the early hours of the 6th of November, we were lying in that hospital with fireworks going off outside, it was the most bizarre thing. Every time I hear a firework, you know, um, and, I, you know, you realise you'll get PTSD later on in your life as well, you know, and if you've been through it, you recognise it. Uh, um, and, you know, it's just, so a lot of trauma and um, a lot of grief. Um, and... You know, I was driving a taxi and um, I was fed up of taking abuse off of drunk people and not making any money. So I get into comedy. Uh, and um, before you know it, you're at a gig in Edinburgh and you're getting punched in the mouth off an, you know, an unhappy person. And, uh, you know, it was all over the press. It was being shared all over the world and nobody gave a shit. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Um, but there you go. So what what, what was this, I know, I know, what was the situation? How did it happen? So you were doing your hour show, and like Wasn't midway through, some woman said, I don't like what you said. No, 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 no. Right, uh, <laughs> nothing like that. She liked the show. Okay. <laughs> Loved the show. <laughs> right. I'm going to have to stand up in court and just and talk about this. Um, but it's already kind of well documented in the press. Uh, and with the backlog, with everything that's going on, God knows. But me going back to court is not fun, as you can imagine. I don't like going. And they keep asking me to go to jury duty. And I've had, I was able to use the fringe brochure as evidence to get out of jury duty. Uh, you know what I mean? But I'm going to have to. I, that's like the third one I've knocked back in the last 18 months. They've definitely won me to get up there for some reason. Anyway, um, yeah, she, it was a mixed bill show and it was called, um, oh, fuck, Pain Spotting. And uh, we kept changing it about pain stopping, pain spotting, and I've got ADHD and that fucked my head. But it was uh, a pun on train spotting. So, Pain spotting with that sort of with a sort of chain spotting motif in the poster, you know, like looking like the guys from the movie. And it was about overcoming hardship. And being able to laugh about it, right? And um, you know, but I don't obviously get into all this when maybe an audience, obviously, they just hear my pattern. They don't they don't necessarily know me and everything that's been on. 
But it was just me talking about therapy and talking about um, people that are mental and different things and getting over things and embarrassing stories and things like that. And uh, there was three of us. There was Graham Mackey, um, guy with a big grey beard, um, Santa. <clears throat> He's probably one of the best MCs on the planet. He's incredible. And Cubby, comedian Cubby, who is a blind comedian and a pal of mine from Glasgow. And he's been on Britain's Got Talent and different things. He's doing theatres and doing tours and comedy collectors and doing really, really well. And um, so basically we decided to put on a show just for two weeks or 10 days or something like that at the Fringe to go and check it out. As it, Obviously, I've been coming through an awful lot in my life. Didn't want to do a whole run. It's also too bloody expensive. You're talking about like, like money and stuff. I mean, you don't, we didn't break even at all from what, all that hundreds of pounds we had to spend and save up and borrow to get to the fringe. Uh, it was just crazy. And, um, but we had a good show and I had some cool wee things happening sound wise and um, all sorts of cool wee things that were happening. And the show was good and it was in three parts. Graham would open. Um, I'd go in the middle and Cubby would close. And um, this was the first day of the Fringe. And um, the show's going, it, I don't know, it was about maybe 20 people there, first Fringe. And these girls are at the back of the room and they won't stop talking. And they're talking like they're at the bus stop. You know what I mean? Right? And they're obviously either drunk or whatever, um, and they're on it, and they're out having a good time, and they're talking away, like they're in the pub, and it was like, you know, Graham didn't address it, when I was on stage in the middle, I addressed it and asked them politely, could they please be quiet, and they did, and uh, I think I need to take the video, because I've got it on video, and uh, um, then I came off, and Cubby went on, Cubby's blind, so he can't really see what's going on in the room. So when he's on and I'm gigging with him, I'm aware of that. And so I'm maybe address, I'll address things he can't and things like that, if needs be. Right? It doesn't happen. But, you know, you're, you're, you're alert in a different way when Cubby's on. And um, they're talking. Now, please be quiet. And they decided to leave. They knew that was the last Comic-Con, so they're trying to sneak out without paying now. Right? And it's the free fringe. Listen, it, you don't have money to put in the bucket or you didn't think the show was good, you're perfectly well within your rights to walk out without paying. Comedians don't give a fuck, right? So they're leaving. But as they're leaving, she comes up to me, she goes, right, I need to run. Her pal's gone to the toilet. She's like, I need to run. That show was great. It was really, really funny. That was awesome. And I went, can you please be quiet? And she went, you're fucking rude. And I'm like, right, hussy. And she walks over to Graham and she's like, He's fucking good, but the show, you were funny, you were funny and all. I'm like, look, shh, totally disrupting the show. So I went, we went out into the, the venue had like the, the bit we were performing in. Then it's got like a little sort of foyer. Then it's got a kind of restaurant that we foyer goes into. So she's leaving and I'm like, shh. And I'm just making sure the door gets closed behind her and all that. We're moving out. She's starting again. I'm trying to pull the door behind me, I think, to keep the noise down because disrupting the show and all that and she just when the door shut she turned around and smacked me in the mouth with a closed fist and I just kind of went 
And do you know, it's moments like that that you really learn who the fuck you are. <laughs> because if you'd asked me five minutes before that, if that woman punched me in the mouth, what would you do? I'd have probably thought, I'd have had her back, I've done something, reacted. I didn't. And uh, I then, she's violent, and it's like, you need to go. And we're getting the door open. This is all happened like that, by the way. The door open, move it into the uh, kind of restaurant part of the venue. This is in Leithport. And um, the staff who have met me now a couple of times come running over. I don't know, I'm gushing for blood from my mouth. I'm kind of in shock, and I'm standing there. And she turned around and she pointed at me. She went, he's just assaulted me. Right? <laughs> and I went, oh, my God. I've had a few moments in comedy where I've seen something and I've thought, this is just chaos and how am I, how are we going to recover to this? You know, the headliner raging storm off the stage after three minutes, right? And I was just like that, you know, it was like, what the fuck, you know, and I'd exhausted all my acts and it went, what am I going to fucking do? Um, it was a moment like that. It was just like car crash fucking moment. And I'm thinking that who's going to believe me? Because I mean, I'm a gay man, but I don't necessarily come across very effeminate or very gay. I just present as a very kind of heterosexual big guy. Uh, and, you know, if a female is accusing you of assault then, you know, you're quite rightly in, in a lot of bother. Uh, but I knew I'm standing there bleeding from the mouth, so I know the police are going to arrest us both because I'm not going to say, well, that's true. Uh, I did assault her and she hurt me back, so Ikis, you know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. The police would have arrested me as well as her. And um, I'd have spent the first opening run of my very first fringe run, uh, my very first night, my very first run, I'd have been in jail in Edinburgh for the whole weekend, and the, the venue would have quite rightly said, you know, because it would have had to go into court and all the rest of it, well, we can't be associated with you after that, and Colin Higgins assaults female. And you've heard how you've come on here, I think, and trapped that, that, you know how things get completely misconstrued and people just talk utter shite. So, you know what I mean? And in comedy, I'd rather take my chances in a Tudor court, you know what I mean? Than working in comedy, it is up there with like politics, journalism, just ruthless. People are, they do not give a fuck about you. And I very stupidly thought that given my history, you know what I mean? People would done would maybe you know, understand why I am the way I am, maybe, I don't know. Uh, no. Um, so, it is what it is. What are you going to do? But, as I say, I thought my life was over. I thought the future was done. The whole future just went up in flames. And I'm standing there, and I said to the woman who's tending my wound, um, can you please phone the police and get the police here? I need the police here. Um, and she said, they've already been phoned. I went, great. And this woman is standing there, he assaulted me, he assaulted me. 
And um, she said, and I'm thinking there'll be no CCTV in that wee bit. What's the chances? And uh, she's standing there. Yes, all to me. Yes, all to me. And the owner, he came running down to see what was going on. He see I was okay. And the staff were amazing. And uh, he came in. She's saying he assaulted me. I hope there's CCTV out there. And the guy went, "I there is. I put it in my phone. We minute." And he's <laughs> that time the police are there. Oh, showed the police. There she is, turning around, walloping me, and me not hitting her back. I, you know, not not. And I was in an enclosed space with this woman. And she was not a happy bunny. So, scary, you know what I mean? Uh, but that was her bank, you're right, the police arrested her. But, you know, I didn't feel good about either, do you know what I mean? It's like, I know she's probably going through whatever she's going through in her life. And she didn't want that to happen, I don't think. And I didn't, I certainly didn't want that to happen. And uh, so it's all very, very regrettable, really. But it, it is what it is. Um... There's not many comedians that I can think of that have been smacked in the mouth at a gig. There's, uh, well, famously, Will Smith, but that really wasn't a gig <laughs> as such. Uh, Billy Conley, he famously got a punch in the mouth in, oh, I think it was Perth in Australia, and um, by a Scottish guy, apparently. Um, and there was another guy, I forget his name now, um, was doing a gig the same, just there, in August. And a punter pulled a gun out. And it was a, obviously it wasn't a real gun, but it was a bloody convincing looking gun. And I think that guy, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think he walked away from the fringe after that, for that, the rest of that run. It really shook him up. And it's like, you've, I don't understand what people think when they go to a comedy show or a comedy club that they've got any right to open their mouths, never mind physically assault anyone. Um, what was that? Something went beep. Uh, but, you know, I don't, uh, you know, it's crazy that we're holding comedians to a higher standard than we do politicians, you know what I mean? Um, right now, more than ever, are these sociopaths making decisions, not in my fucking name or not, um, and not in the name of MD that is a advocate for peace in the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, I'm getting quite ranty, and uh, have we even covered any of the questions that you wanted to ask? We answered about, we answered two of them, and... Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely, it's, no, but it's, it's. I, the good question you did ask, has, they're all good questions, don't mean, I don't mean that how that sounds, but that was a good question. Has the experience changed you? Um, It hasn't changed me, and it's affirmed that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not violent. I've never been violent in my life, but I'm not violent. Um. You know, in that moment, you know, I'd have, you know, MD, everybody I've spoken to, even the police, you know, you know, uh, she needs a whatever. I thought, no, no, no. I, uh, yeah. I reckon there's a few people I know that probably would have hit him back. <laughs> but I play the piano as well. And this is the thing that people don't, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not shit, but I do play and write songs and stuff. But uh, your hands are so precious, so, you know, and I need these for playing the piano. And how the fuck would I roll a joint if I broke my hand? You know what I mean? <laughs> Practicalities, you know what I mean? And it, so that's something that you need to, you shouldn't say about musicians, especially guys that are proper. You know, they're, if you need to fight them, don't panic because unless they're lead singers that can't even play a fucking note, you're not going to get a punch back. Mm. Yeah, I heard something about that. I remember someone told me a while ago the lead guitarist in Queen, like he's got very soft hands, and someone tried giving him a strong handshake and he got quite offended by it. And that's yeah. because, so, and people often assume if you give a weak handshake, you're a weak man. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a good excuse for me if I have a weak handshake. Just say, "Listen, I'm, I'll play." Him. No, I. But it, yeah, I don't know. I I, I like a. Um, I don't give a fuck about handshakes. As long as they're not funny ones, um, I'm I'm really not give. I really don't give a shit. Or dirty um, ones where you have to indoctrinate me. They try to find out if I'm a mason or something. You're you're doing that thing, uh, and, and I've you know uh, I've met very prominent people on the other side. Oh. that thing in Scotland, the sectarian thing. And I've had funny shakes off both sides, both sides of the camp, you know. Uh, so you've got, like, Masonic handshakes to let you know why you're a Mason. Or you've got Hibernian handshakes, uh, apparently. Hmm. And a very, very prominent person gave me one of them. And I thought, oh, that was weird. So how did we go into that? I'll be honest, yeah. And you said that I haven't asked, but the podcast has taken a lot of different directions than I expected yeah, it yeah. to go. But mm-hmm. I honestly, mate, I like that about the podcast. I never know where it's going to go. And each each conversation I have with someone on a podcast, I learn something in terms in terms of interviewing people. Each mm-hmm. one. Um, did we did we kick together? You know, in Edinburgh. If you saw me dressed in a Zora costume, then yes. Were you doing a panel show in the Three Sisters? It was like a, I can't remember the name of the show. It was like a Who's Line It Anyway with random comedians from the fringe. And it was me and a guy that looked so like you and a guy with a top hat. Okay, no. so my comedy act is I play Zora right. and it's called Asian Zora, so it's unlikely to be me. There is another Asian comic that's a lot shorter than me, who wears glasses, called Sammy C. Right. Maybe you mistook him for me. I don't know. But no, I just I kind of recognised your face there, an expression you pulled, and then I realised, you know, it kind of probably had some kind of racial undertone, some backpedalling away for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's no worries, mate. It's no worries. Right, this guy's cancelled. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm easy going. It's the intent of what people say, though, isn't it? A lot of the times, it's 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 it's. When did that stop to matter? When did the intent behind what someone was saying cease to be important? It seems to be the case now, unless like some. It's just. I reckon if you said that now, what you said to me to someone who is a bit more on the sensitive side, my God, it would have been interesting to see, but. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, but the thing is, because they, they don't have anything to be really angry about. So they want something that they choose they choose to get angry over something that's asinine. But I or, think there's a lot of fear put into young people and this sort of freedom of expression and everything that, that they're 
living with now, not knowing what, what it was like beforehand, and how could they know if they've never experienced it? And I, I'm old enough to realise that I've done that myself with my elders growing up. And a lot of young people now, thank God, feel quite comfortable telling their parents they're gay or whatever, or trans, whatever they are. Uh, I don't, um, I mean, I don't envy parents having to go through that process with trans kids, and I think that's a very complicated thing and all the rest of it, but they're living in a different world, and, you know, and kids are encouraged to be themselves, which is brilliant, that's great, you know. Uh, I think it's going to fix a lot of problems with people's mental health and going forward and all of that. Um, and it's... I think they, they think if people are attacking them or saying anything remotely negative, that they're in danger of that being the sort of, you know, the chink in the armour that brings it all down. If somebody's having a joke at their expense or if they're perceiving they're having a joke at their expense and the explosion of people who are identifying as not neurotypical and things like that and... People are so reactionary and people on the left think that if you're standing even remotely to the right of them, that you are the right. And it's just everybody needs to chill the fuck out. It's I think it's also it's also to do with branding as well. If yeah, they, I don't know what I'm talking about, man. I'm ranting, I'm sorry. What you said there, I've had a chat with a few people recently in the podcast. Mm. And a lot of what you said there is just especially in comedy they've got certain audiences now they've used that to build an audience like people on the right and people on the left like free speech and they have to stick religiously to it even if maybe their opinions change because they'll upset the audience that they've built and otherwise they'll probably be not making much money from gigs and just be so now it's part of their brand yeah it's part, it's part of the image few people get famous on the back of political movements and, and different musicians as well and singers and songwriters it's... Old as the hells, man. I tell you what, I watched something recently. I watched Tony Hinchcliffe and his little clip with. Um, have you seen that? I, I, what clips? That? I haven't. Seen, I know Tony. I've watched. I, it's not really my cup of tea, but I, I know what you're talking about. I'll show you a quick little clip, and I'd like to see what your thoughts are on it. But it's a famous clip. It's made that comedian um, famous. Well, no, not famous. It's given him actually a bit of a following. The guy that he filmed it with. Um, but, but Tony Hinchcliffe, it, it, well, I think it's maybe even made him more famous. I'm not sure, but this is what happened. Give it up for the oh, I've seen that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, Tony I didn't even, I think I switched it off, mate. Um, I'll stop it. But he, I mean, it, I'll be honest, if he said that to me, I'll probably not be cool with and I'll probably walk off stage. Well, he did walk off stage, but I, I yeah. It's, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that, well, the way it, it doesn't come across, I, yeah, that, if it's behind well, closed, it, yeah, I wouldn't be okay with that. If you haven't, I believe you can say anything on stage. Anything. You can say anything you want. But the tone. You can express yourself in any way you want. You should be able to and free to say ever the fuck you like, but see if you're a comedian and you do that and you haven't got the skill to frame what you're saying professionally, properly, and 
in a way that makes everybody laugh, then don't do it. Don't say anything like that. If you're going to come across as a racist wanker. Now, you know what comedians are like backstage, trying to, you know, one up on each other, we've been the funniest and, and all that sort of stuff and all the dick swinging that goes on, all the inappropriate humour that goes on and the things comedians say, and some of the things that me and my comedy comedian pals say to one another are fucking horrific, but they're between friends and they're, it's banter, it's your pals. Um, to go on stage and maybe take that energy, I'm, I'm being very generous to Hinchcliffe, whatever his name is here, um, but it came across as just really racist and stupid and really not funny. And and you get fucking dragged over the coals for it. And we've moved on, I think. And I think that's a good system. Yeah. I don't I think, think it should be setting fire. And no, not no we shouldn't. Definitely you know that. I mean? Definitely that. Definitely not that. But, Get your shit together and don't say something so stupid. But, yeah, definitely the way that was... Exactly, I agree 100% what you said. Uh, if Yeah, it, you would take it definitely the wrong way because the way it, it wasn't delivered in the right way at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, definitely the wrong way. It's it's like saying the end, like, like having a black comic and then saying <laughs> the other thing in that way. But yeah. Well, that word is, um, if people of colour want to use that word, then have at it. Um, I sure as fuck won't. And yes, I won't. <laughs> it's no business being in my mouth or in my head. You know, it's just, it's um, comes with a lot of baggage. And if you're going, you know, uh, just understatement of the century, you know, and um, it's people who you see a lot of new comics that come out. Basically, I'm still new, I've only been going properly in the last five, not even properly, just going best I can the last five years. Uh, so I'm still a baby in terms of experience and all that. Um, but you know, I think if you're going to go on stage and say something like that and you can't follow it through then you're an idiot. You're not qualified to be up there. Yeah. It, it it seems though, I mean, despite the backlash and everything, they both seem to have gained, both of them seem to have gained from it. Mm-hmm. Which is, is what it is, eh? That's what it is, you know. The, the one thing that is a bit funny, and I'm definitely going to get, I really want to get Will Franklin on. Do you know that thing that he had with Comedy Unleashed? I really want to hear his story because I really used to admire comedy on this and that freedom of speech. But if I hit, but I heard that they got rid of Alistair Beckett King's like but insult on them, and they got rid of Will Franklin's stuff because he made fun of certain things that they were involved in. So I would love to find out on the other side of that because, yeah, I don't know. My opinion on comedy on this has changed because of what I hear on that. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I can't really. I don't really want to comment on other comedians. I think it's. It's. Uh, I'm regretting even saying all that about Tony there, or not because it's like it's. It, you know, I, it's a, it's so difficult, and it can be so difficult. It can be so hard, and you're just trying to make people laugh, and it's like it becomes so difficult. You're and if you get like ADHD and like well, fuck all, knows what else I've got, and I'm quite an open guy, you start to pull back because you're scared to, you know, and it starts, the art form then really starts to suffer, you know, yeah. and comedians need to learn, you need to go out and push it and push it and push it and get burned and go, fuck, right, okay, that wasn't right, you know, I mean, I'm talking about um, 
serial killers and all sorts of stuff I talk about and getting laughs, talking about some pretty horrific shit because I think, you know, you need to, if you laugh, you take away the power in it. It becomes less scary. And I always, my wee tagline, when you laugh, you win. I say it all the time. And we need to laugh at ourselves and laugh at things and uh, more um, than we're doing. And I spoke about doing a roast battle with a comedian that I'm really quite pally with. And obviously, both of us have things, uh, you know, that are, uh, would be so dodgy for people to attack us on or, you know, roast us on. Um, but, you know, we're, we're thinking about doing it and, and doing something really quite mental. To see if it works, to see you know, to see if it's good, to see if it if it gets laughed and if it's funny, you know, uh, then it's valid, I think. And um, obviously, we're grown men and we're pals, and the audience know that it's okay. You can take the right. Let's just have a laugh because comedy's supposed to be about rock and roll. And there's guys out there that are pure rock. John Fothergill, man, th that guy is pure rock and roll. And what a comedian! He's fucking brilliant. You know, people don't really, the wider public don't really know who he is. Got comedians, and we're supposed to be in a golden age of comedy, and I don't know how many acts out there that are absolutely phenomenal, and nobody knows who they are. You know, it's a funny old game. It certainly is. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of really brilliant people that should get more, but it is what it is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, to, for everyone that's listening right now, and because we talk, we've we've tackled a lot in this podcast. Have we? What, we definitely we've tackled a lot of things that. Well, no, definitely, mate. We definitely have. Sorry, I'm, I, I do smoke. It's the last device I've got. Don't smoke, kids. It's a disgusting problem. <laughs> what? So what, what would be your life advice for navigating comedy? Oh, um, oh, that all depends on who I'm speaking to. Because why in comedy? You know? And if you can't give me a good reason, then, you know, go away. It's a beautiful art form. It's a wonderful kind of medium. It's a good way of communicating. A comedian, if he's doing his job right, will take over your thinking for an hour and a half or 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever you're doing. They take over your thinking and they, they take you out yourself and you're able to laugh and if they're doing their job right, you maybe feel you're doing something a bit naughty, you know, but it's just like thrills at a horror movie or laughs at a, a comedy, you know, just a release, being together, getting that feeling, you know, and that room's vibing and you walk off stage and you're just on cloud nine. It's very rare that happens because <laughs> yeah, I'm never happy. With what, very rarely am I delighted with what I've done. So very frustrating thing and if you're not in it to take the rejection to take the you're totally stripped of i mean comedy i went through it 
with comedy, you know, and dealing with so many other things at the same time. Um, I'm only diagnosed ADHD in the last six months, so, you know, every thought I've had up until the age of 40 has been controlled by or, or, or impacted by this thing that I was aware of, but I wasn't aware of. Um, so it's, you know, if you're not in it, if you're you're going to go through it, you're going to have, you're going to feel the worst you've ever felt. And um, plus you've got people that would literally watch you drown to get five minutes at a comedy club. And it's that cutthroat. I had no idea. Everybody warned me, but I had no clue, you know, what it was going to be like. Um, and as I said before, it's not all doom and gloom. It seems to be a lot of nasty people are leaving and or getting on with other things or changing their behaviour, which is all fantastic. Um, but if you're not bulletproof and if you're not passionate about comedy, you're not going to survive. You're just going to make yourself miserable. So you need to be in it with your heart and soul, respect it and love it and know when to get off stage, you know? And, and if you're coming in thinking, oh, I'm going to be the next Frankie Boyle and we walk up there and just say a lot of horrific shit and, and I'm going to be famous because I've got no shame, right? right? People may say that about me, Marvin, I don't know, but, you know, if, if you're... Thanks for confessing. No, I'm joking. Yeah, you know, if, if you're going to go on stage uh, and just say a lot of horrific shit and you don't have the fucking tools to frame it properly, to look after the room, if you walk on stage and offend a full room, Stu Who, one of the best guys on the planet, told me this years ago, and it's so true. If you walk out on stage and you offend the full room, then nobody's going to come back and see you. You don't want to offend your audience. You know, you want to shock and you want to have a laugh and you want them to know that you're all right, that they're all right, everyone's okay, you know, we're all going to leave and everybody's going to be clapping, it's going to be great. Just relax and let the comedian get on you. Um, but if you've not got the balls, you've not got the fucking drive to keep you going back for more, when it's so difficult, you're not going to make it. And even if you're brilliant, you're probably not going to make it. All right. You've heard it there last, guys. Guys, get out. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh. uh, hope you've enjoyed it. You've heard, you wasn't much a pep talk, was it? No, it was it was very much a sort of listen here, Sonny Jim. If you ain't got the fucking minerals, son, get the fuck out. That's what it was. But listen here, Sonny Jim's back in. If you ain't got the minerals, you better get the fuck out of comedy. All right, eh? But listen, see if you love it, and if you've got a spark for it, and you're up there, you'll fucking know. And it's the best thing in the world. Okay, that better. Yes. <laughs> Guys, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. You know where to find out about Colin. I will give you his address as well. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, you know where to find out about Colin. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Give this episode a review on Amazon iTunes. And I will see you guys soon. Take care, guys. Um.